You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas, and surveyor and attorney at law. We'll spend the next hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send those questions and comments to Jeff at americaswebradio.com. You can find out more about me at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Check out our resources tab for some free downloads of uh, interesting information. Uh, John, are you on the line? I am, sir. All right. Uh, well, I'm proud to uh, uh, announce today we have a guest, a uh, special guest with us. He is uh, John Stock. He's a Nevada professional land surveyor and, and was licensed in several other states over his career. He is a retired surveyor living in Green Valley, Arizona. He closed a 50-year career in both private and public sectors in 2016. He has worked extensively in both rectangular and colonial states, given seminars and schools throughout the nation. John was privileged to serve NSPS as a Board of Governors Delegate, Director, and President. John continues to write for survey periodicals and maintains contacts with the many colleagues in the profession that he has encountered and had the good fortune to know. John? Uh, sorry about the mix-up this morning. <laughs> this morning, I gave you the wrong, I gave John the wrong number to call in on. But uh, welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you, sir. I'm glad to be here. Well, good. Um, well, as I do with um, most uh, of my surveyor guests, uh, I I ask basically the same question to start out uh, with: Is uh, how did you first get interested in surveying some 50 years ago? Well, it was a summer job with the Colorado Department of Highways. Uh, they were hiring engineering laborers, and so I was a laborer slash rodman slash stake pounder uh, in a four-man crew, which is all transit and tape which and level and rod, which uh, they wouldn't let me touch the level or the transit. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly good what idea. you're doing. Yeah, that was a good idea. I know exactly what you're talking about. That that transit was like gold back in those days. I mean, the, only the instrument man could touch it. Nobody else could, right? Yeah, it was a monster with a mind all its own. <laughs> uh, well, for our audience's sake, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your career in surveying? Well, I had 34 years in the private sector. been on my own several times. Uh, the last, most recently, was... Uh, nine years in Durango, Colorado, which is a town and area I different love, dearly love. But uh, the last 16 years, from 2000 to 2016, I was the chief surveyor for the Flood Control District of Maricopa County. And it was a wonderful, wonderful cap to my career. Uh, I just, I can't brag about these guys enough. I never was high on government surveyors, but then I became one. <laughs> and, uh, I was able to write my own ticket, and nobody well, understood what I did, and they left me alone. <laughs> that's how that's how surveyors like it, right? Just leave me alone and let me do what I let me do what I need to do, right? That's right. Um, well, you're retired. Um, 
uh, obviously you told us that, but or your bio told us that. What what, what have you been doing in retirement? Well, right now I'm sitting on the patio drinking a cup of coffee, talking to you, and that's just good enough. <laughs> in retirement, right. we take we take some RV trips. I'm still a uh, I've been a shooter all my life and uh, competitive until the last ten years, and uh, so that's put away right now because you can't go anywhere and uh, right. shoot a gun even in a, in a regular range here in Arizona. So uh, that's been put away for a while, and I can't wait to get back to it. But right now it's strictly recreational. Uh, we used to lead motorcycle tours into Mexico. We did that for about 10 years, and uh, that was an incredible experience. Good, good. Um, well, you're keeping in active. Retirement, in retirement with COVID-19, I just... Sitting on the patio is about it. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully well, we're all going through that right now, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, we're all hoping for um, to get back to get uh, life back to normal or as, or as normal as it can be uh, in, into the future. But um, well, that sounds good because you know uh, you hear about a lot of people who um, you know who retire and then the next thing you're you're reading their obituary somewhere, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't plan to check out anytime soon. Well, good, good. Well, uh, you're somewhat familiar with the show, um, and what we do, of course, is we're, we're talking about uh, surveying and surveyors, so that's that's why I have you on the show here today. I want to get your take on some things. Um, so um, one, of the, one of the issues that's uh, kind of floating around the community these days is uh, what is the purpose uh, the fundamental purpose of uh, licensing, in your opinion, the fundamental purpose of licensing and uh, regulating the surveying profession? Well, the uh, state legislatures have determined many, many years ago, the early part of the 20th century, that surveying blunders can injure people, can injure their property, can injure their building, can injure a bridge, whatever. And so it was important for them to get uh, some sort of regulation and uh, a process to uh, discipline people that fell off the wagon, so to speak. And, uh, um, yeah, and those licensing laws um, go back go back a few years, I guess some back into the uh, – uh, 19th century and then early in the 20th century, but early on, I mean, um, for, at least from my observations, uh, they, they allowed almost anybody um, with a uh, who could read and write and operate a compass and a chain to become a licensed surveyor, didn't they? Yes, it was very simple back then, and then it, gradually as uh, the blunders become more famous, uh, especially with the GLO. Uh, mm-hmm. The regulations started to get tightened down, and then the examinations, and then things got tougher and tougher, and they should be tough. They shouldn't be easy. I've heard people tell me, oh, surveying license is easy to get. You know, I, that exam's nothing. Well, okay, then make the exam harder. <laughs> well, yeah, and that kind of, um, you know, brings up a debate we're in, we're in these days. They, they um, a lot of states... Um, I guess in a reaction to trying to 
bring up the standard uh, for surveyors um, enacted uh, uh, legislation that required um, a four-year degree um, in order to sit for the surveying exam. What <clears throat> what's your take on that whole on that whole debate? Four-year degree, not four-year degree, the testing, uh, all of that. Well, I do have a four-year degree. It's not in land surveying or surveying geomatics or surveying engineering, as they call it all now. It's uh, actually in history, and it's stood me pretty well over the years, especially in the boundary work. Uh, let's face it, in the world of mathematics, surveying is not a difficult math. Uh, you know, it's a basic geometry, and my first boss in private practice said, if a man can be a surveyor if he understands the right triangle. Actually, it's pretty mm -hmm. close. <laughs> yeah. Triangles at least and circles from, and spheres. Huh? At least from a measurement standpoint. but That's from the measurement um, standpoint. From the professional yeah, standpoint, I don't know. It's really hard. The, uh, the people that put boundary law into their baccalaureate programs are to be applauded for that. But they need to put in more. Now, I may be wrong, but as I understand it, over in New Mexico State, which is a pretty good program, you get two years of calculus. And I have never needed calculus. I've been licensed in six states in a U.S. mineral surveyor by examination and experience. I've never used that particular brand of mathematics. Uh, I had to maybe cut it to a year and put a year in uh more of boundary law, rectangular system, colonial system practices, they'd probably come out with better surveyors. But it's so overburdened with technology now, uh, and that moves me into the uh, ABET accreditation of programs that uh, really, uh, I think, are misguided, so to speak. Uh, they honor the mathematics to the point of oblivion. And that's not what surveying's about. Math is a tool. The equipment's a tool. The mm -hmm. professional decision is what the board's going to regulate you on and what the public expects of you. And that's uh, something that seems to get lost in all this uh, baccalaureate program, mathematics, surveying, engineering definitions. Uh, and that brings me to the point that... Uh, Surveying has always been considered by the engineers as a branch of engineering. Mm -hmm. And I have paid dearly a couple of times over my career in private practice as a middle management or upper manager, trying to say surveying is an independent profession that stands alone. Well, yeah. Um, I think we all know how it happened, um, um, how surveying sort of uh, became uh, second place to civil engineers. I mean, most of our boards across the country, I, I, I don't have any empirical uh, work here to, to say this definitely um, uh, across the country, but most, most boards across the country are engineering and, and surveying boards, uh, which means you're going to have four or five engineers on the board and you might have a survey a token surveyor or two and you might even have a uh, the surveyor is actually a dual license PEPLS and um, that's 
you know, I'm finding that to be, especially in this day and age, a little bit problematic. You know, given the fundamental principle, the fundamental issue that we talked about here uh, to begin with, the fundamental issue for licensing surveyors, and that's the protection of property rights. Um, you know, as I've often said, a sur- retracement surveying isn't is not an engineering project, but so many, so often. And too many surveyors in the past, maybe because they were civil engineers and for whatever reason were out there surveying, um, they treat it like an you know they treat it like an engineering project, which is not. No, it's not black and white, Jeff. For instance, in the, here in Arizona, I and of course all of our conversation here is anecdotal. I'll preface with that: is that right. there's nine people on the board of registration in Arizona. There's only one surveyor. There's a public member, a lawyer, architects, even a geologist, because geologists are registered here. It, mm-hmm. it runs the gamut, but there's only one surveyor, and yet most of the complaints in Arizona when I was involved come from surveying. Oh, home inspectors, too. They, they regulate home inspectors here. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, you've got a nine-member board, and yeah, they look to the surveyor for answers, but... Uh, I don't know if one surveyor on a board was probably thousands of surveyors licensed in Arizona is adequate. Hey, John, uh, we're we're coming up on a break. Let's pick up on this on the other side. So we'll be back, uh, folks, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Absolutely, and call quickstakes. Again, the number is 800-438-0387. Eight seven and order your samples today, or order your supply for the business that's coming. And don't ever think that it's not back because business is back. And um, Parker Davis Quick Stakes has been acknowledging the fact that they're getting more and more orders in, both for markers and Quick Stakes. So get your order in today. And by the way, I want to take this opportunity because I know we have uh, I can't say more than one or two maybe but uh, we have people that have been listening to us and have gone to our homepage americaswebradio.com and decided to become patrons and they're contributing uh, 5, 10, 20, 50 dollars a month to keeping shows like the Land Surveying Hour on the air. We're the only radio station in the country that I know of that does a show like this. And we have a great host. Jeff Lucas does a wonderful, wonderful job. And um, he's bringing information to you, the surveyor, and to the public. A lot, we have some com- a lot of comments, in fact, from people that listen to it that aren't land surveyors but are finding out information from Jeff and his guests, and we appreciate that. So with that being said, we're about ready to get back to Jeff right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Okay, we are back, folks, and um, I have uh, a guest. We have a guest on the program here today, John Stock, uh, Nevada surveyor, uh, previously licensed uh, in uh, several other states. Um, John, as you know, uh, one of my uh, uh, pet issues is uh, the pincushion corner, and for our audience's uh, um, um knowledge or uh, edification uh, when I refer to a pincushion, which is a pretty common term uh, that gets used in the surveying profession, a pincushion corner is multiple monuments in the ground all ostensibly representing one corner in legal contemplation. It's We call it a pincushion corner because there's multiple monuments in the ground, just like pins in a pincushion. Uh, why do you believe um, what's your opinion on why there are so many disagreements between surveyors over the location of property boundaries, as witnessed by the many pincushion corners that we find on the ground? Well, first of all, I think there's two uh, two big issues that cause this effect. Uh, the first one, of course, is the advance of electronic distance uh, from the early 70s when you could go out and afford with a $25 an hour crew to buy a $5,000 instrument from Hewlett-Packard and survey two miles pretty accurately. Uh, you couldn't turn angles. Then they came out with one that turned angles and did distances at 3810. I've run all these instruments, by the way. Uh, and then the 3820, which is a true total station. And all that allowed people to, quote, do a better survey or uh, relocate or reestablish a survey monument in the right place. What mm-hmm. they didn't do is research and know enough law, and surveyors have to get dangerously close to lawyers here, to know that probably the first surveyor is going to be the right one, and your book brings that out in spades. Uh, this, I wish this book would have published 30 years earlier, because I don't know of any book that addresses it, but the pincushion effect. And uh, I use it, I've recommended it, I sold it. Uh, it should be absolute reading for anybody in school and any practicing surveyor. I know some of the people in your book. <laughs> I, Lewis Powell, Pat Madsen, and yeah. of course the big guys, Robillard, Wilson, Kurt Brown. I've actually met Kurt Brown when he was alive. Uh, but that's, that's the thing. Lack of research and knowledge of what the first surveyor did, and of course is really in spades in the rectangular states, especially out west where you can sit on the top of a hill and radial, radial in your points and be more accurate than you could ever be accurate chaining around it. And then, oh, that guy didn't do it right. He had a transit and tape, and we can do it better. We can measure better. And that's horrible. Uh, it took me a while to learn that because... I went down the rabbit hole in the early 80s like everybody else. We were, by God, going to do it right and correct the earlier surveys, especially ones that dealt with the rectangular system. We went along with that for years, and the board supported us because our board in Colorado says, you're going to use the manual of instructions. So what were we to do uh, besides use the manual of instructions? You subdivide it, or you say, size the section, uh, go out and around it, establish the center of section, the most hotly contested monument and surveying or position, mm-hmm. 
and then do the 40 or the 160 that you were hired to do and don't look around the rest of the section. Don't go to the courthouse and see who was there first. If somebody was there first and didn't agree with your numbers, they were obviously wrong, so you set your own. So what does that do for the public? <laughs> what does that make us well, look like? Idiots. Well, and that's the problem. You know, <clears throat> I, I, I got in surveying a little bit after you, maybe about a decade after you, and uh, you know, as a full-time profession. And when I became a licensed surveyor, I mean, that was just, uh, that was the protocol. Uh, that's what you did. You went out and... You broke that section down, and if uh, if there were monuments on the ground uh, that were already in place, somebody else had broken that section down. Well, they did it wrong, and so you know you're supposed to put uh, uh, put them in the correct position, um, not not necessarily accept what's already there, especially if the math doesn't work, and the, and they didn't follow. And this is this is another another uh, phrase that I, I choke on. Uh, they didn't follow proper procedure. Well, they're just a, th- those guys were just a bum. Uh, they were bums, and you had you had to kick them out. I mean, the thought that we would deal with this, at least my upbringing in surveying was the thought that we dealt with property rights was uh, an anathema. It was uh, that was uh, that was taboo. You couldn't you you couldn't we didn't have anything to do with property rights, and that's practicing the what you know. What when I when I got out and uh, onto the speaking circuit and started talking about what we really should be doing, what the law really requires of us to do retracement surveying, I mean the pushback I got was you're trying to teach us how to be lawyers when when in fact it uh, that's what we're at least in my opinion that's what we're supposed to be doing we're su- we're supposed to be finding where the boundary lines have become established on the ground not to correct them. Yeah. The- well, you're not going to get any help from a title company who lives with their written descriptions and uh, don't care about the monuments, even with the ALTA survey, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it was a standard of care at the time and the, the standard that the boards supported because they had the manual in the regulations. They also had, and I bet, I'm betting here, that every state that has regulations talks about surveyors understanding the law to do their work. Maybe just a sentence, maybe just a phrase that says you're going to do all the math and you're going to know the law. And we don't. By and large, we don't and we don't care because guess what? You can't make any money studying the law. You're going to go broke trying to do boundary surveying, doing it right. That ought to get some answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you, you, you meant you, you hit on several things there. One is the standard of care. Yeah, certainly. If uh, if if all surveyors are going out and surveying using tax maps and not deeds, well, uh, in your community, then that's the standard of care. Uh, and it's but it's a low standard, a very low standard. Um, and I guess most surveyors would would agree that. Uh, the community, at least my observation is, we're not going out and surveying by tax maps, but uh, you got the reverse. We had the reverse, the flip side of that going on is all we're doing is staking out the deeds, and uh, somehow that's protecting people's property rights. Well, as you know, the deed is only evidence of title. If we're supposed to put, quote, record title on the ground, that includes existing monuments, the use, 
by the landowners to history. I have to diverse here for a second. I, in my own seminar business, uh, I asked the students, especially in our three-day academy, how do you get land? Well, you go out there and measure it, or you know, you write a deed and you and you survey it. No, no, you find it, then you take it, then you hold it against all others coming around you. You know, hoist your flag and say, "I dare you to come across my line," and here's my line. Oh, and sometime in the future, we'll write a document about it and put it in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's uh, that goes to the core issue of establishment of boundaries. And boundaries become established uh, on the ground through the uh, activities and inactivities of the landowners, acquiescence, reliance, um, recognition, and like you said, the deed is the, as as the courts have said over and over again. The deed isn't isn't sacrosanct. They didn't put it in those words, but the deed, the deed is merely evidence of title. It's not a guarantee of title, um, and it's the the language in that legal description is meant to be merely a guide to help one. And, and surveyors are talking about surveyors here to help one find where that property line, where those property lines have become established on the ground. It's just a guide. This this hit us in the face when we moved to to New England because. Colorado blew up at the oil shale bust, and we're all out of work. We're really in trouble. So a bunch of us went to New England where there was a little land boom going on in 86, 87, 88. And we had to learn the colonial way of surveying. And you know what? I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I don't care. Uh, Colonial surveying is actually easier than surveying in the rectangular system. It's all meets and bounds. It's mostly possession. You'd be surprised at how the written descriptions fit on the ground. Thence along a stone wall. Thence right. turning and running on this stone wall. Thence now on lands now are formerly of so by somebody. You can go to the courthouse and figure it out, what they call a town hall back there. And it was actually simpler than dealing with the sectionalized lands. Yeah, um, that, that, you know... Not that I have. I'm licensed in uh, in Georgia, which is a colonial state, and I'm licensed in Tennessee, which wasn't part of the public land survey system. So basically, a meets and bounds state. But I've also um, gone to those states doing seminars and uh, researching the law, uh, you know, for those states. So one of the observations I've made, and I've talked about this in many on many occasions, especially when talking out west. I, when uh, in the colonial states, just like you observe, it's it's almost easier, and the surveyors there understand that a stone wall is, doesn't mean nothing. You know uh, that a, that a stone in the ground doesn't mean nothing. That a fence doesn't mean doesn't mean nothing because those were the landmarks that uh, a lot of the deeds were written to. And the river doesn't mean nothing. I mean, you got to go find the river. You got to find the stone wall. You got to find the stone in the ground. That's right, and it was physically rough. <laughs> You're back to cutting yeah. the line in the 1980s. Who'd have thought? Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming up on another break here, John. Time's flying by, but um, we'll get back uh, to this discussion uh, just uh, after the break here. We've got a couple of seconds left, but we'll get into some other questions with John. John Stock, uh, our guest today, and we'll be back after this break. 
quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. By the way, when you order your quick stakes, be sure and tell your dealer that you heard about them. If it's the first time you've ever ordered them, you heard about them on America's Web Radio and on the Land Surveying Hour. And if you like what you're hearing, you can become a patron of America's Web Radio just by going to our homepage and signing up. We'll be back with Jeff and his guest in just a couple of minutes. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we are back. This is the hour. I'm Jeff Lucas, your host, and with me today is John Stock, a friend of mine and a distinguished surveyor, um, seminar speaker, and um, and writer. Uh, John, um, it's been my observation uh, about professions in general that there's two fundamental policing mechanisms that operate on all professions, um, board action and litigation. Uh, if you're if you're a surgeon, and I use this example a lot, if you're a surgeon and you amputate the wrong leg, um, there will be board action because you were negligent, and there will be litigation because you amputated the wrong leg. Uh, how do you think these two mechanisms, these two policing mechanisms, work to uh, police rogue surveying practice in the United States? You know, Jeff, I don't think they work well at all. Uh, I've witnessed uh, actions of the boards in several states. I've been a consultant to the boards in a couple of occasions, and I find that a lot of it's because of the lack of funding that the policing is uh, is lacking. And also there's usually an attorney general lawyer sitting on the board as an advisor that says, well, you can't take a, take a man or woman's living away from them. They have to make a living. And so we're just going to punish them a little bit and let them go on doing what they're doing and they go right back to doing it the same old way they've never changed they do it cheap they do it without research they do it with measurement and nothing changes now as far as litigation goes you and i have discussed it surveyors are so damn poor that they rarely get litigated and even those litigations are fairly local level 
trials, if they go to trial, and they're not citable as case law until they get up to a certain level, which, you know, uh, they almost never make it to. And so it's pretty wide open. It really is. Well, yeah, um, you know, in my experience as a seminar presenter, one of the things uh, I, uh, the reaction I get from surveyors is, uh, that, you know, they first of all, it's a measure-centric measure profession. They trust their measurements. They don't necessarily trust their judgment or their decisions on where the property lines are located on the ground. So that's one reason they fall back on their measurements. Uh, but the other thing is, and I heard this quite, I've heard this quite a lot, is, if Jeff, if we do what you're suggesting that we do, uh, maybe in certain situations ignore uh, the measurements that are in the deed, or at least not treat them uh, as if they are, you know, the gospel truth. Uh, then, and we just we just hold that center quarter. Let's talk about the center quarter. Center quarter has been set. Was set a long time ago. Set. It was set a hundred years ago. Dykes versus Arnold is a is a case on point. Uh, yes. If we don't break if we don't break that section down and put that center quarter right at the intersection of the opposing uh, lines coming from the quarter corners and you know we're, we're going to be sued but um, uh, uh, one of the issues is uh, on this litigation uh, policing mechanisms it, not only are the surveyors poor but the people are poor too they they can't afford to go to court and get that surveyor's decision overturned that's that's exactly right. I know that I will go to my grave, hopefully far out in the future, that people will never pay for a survey what it's worth. And yet the liability in a lot of states like Arizona never stops. Even your estate can be sued. And uh, people need to understand that when they're out there throwing pins on the ground or pincushioning stuff. Uh, pincushion didn't exist in New England. We didn't bother. We had all the electronic distance and but the monuments were so strong and the land spoke to you so well because there wasn't a rectangular system i don't know how anybody gets really sued in the new england states for doing a boundary that's just pretty obvious when you get out there all you're doing is quantifying the acreage because it's pretty much there it speaks to you well, you're more likely to get sued by upsetting the apple cart by upsetting the status quo than you are by following the existing That's boundaries true. on the ground. Yeah. And, and then one of the reasons... Go ahead. You're dealing with a rectangular system, and say you're subdividing a section and doing the, the northwest of the southeast quarter, right in the middle, and your northwest corner is the center quarter corner position. Who's going to find that land besides the guy that hired you to do it? This is a huge chunk of land. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're, you're talking there about for like, many years, huh? Uh, you're talking about back back when the original patentees were moving in, right? Yeah, and that's what yeah. surveyors don't get. Uh, I don't think anyway. What I've seen is that the GLO was never meant to go inside the sections, and especially some rare cases, notwithstanding, it was up to the county surveyor and the private surveyor to fill in the blanks. Words. They delegated the authority, they wiped their hands, and they walked off. The only time they could uh, do stuff 
was in a dependent resurvey, and they had to honor the rights of the property owners and uh, take care of it that way, thankfully. But uh, in their own land, as you have said, they, they own the land. They get to put it wherever they like. Right. And, and that's we are basic. With, we are dealing with the property rights of private individuals on private land that have a stake in it. Show me somebody whose uh, property isn't their largest investment in their life, their largest value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you, you hit on uh, a lot of issues there. One, one of the... Uh, one of the fundamental issues, fundamental problems with um, putting the BLM or GLO manual in your, in your code section uh, for surveyors to follow is it's not a retracement manual. And the, the, the vast majority of the work surveyors are doing today, uh, they're not in, in original surveyor mode. They, they, are, they are doing retracement surveying. The only time a, a private practice surveyor would be an original surveyor is if uh, that surveyor is working for a developer uh, who is uh, subdividing land, creating subdivisions, and that surveyor goes out there and, and sets the uh, subdivision lot corners in the ground, and then you're in original surveyor mode. But the, the vast majority of work surveyors are doing today, uh, when, when it comes to property surveying, we're, that's what we're basically focusing in on here today. We're, there's a lot of other things surveyors can do, but other people can do them as well. But um, in in re- retracement mode, um, um, that manual doesn't doesn't tell you how to do a retracement. Well, there's a couple of sections on retracement, but uh, like six dash seven, nineteen seventy three manual. Uh, I believe it's six dash seven. Um, you in in order to do a retracement as defined under the manual, you you can go and rehabilitate corners, but you can't call a corner lost. I mean, it says it right there in the manual. You can't call a corner lost in, in retracement mode in the manual. Um, so that means if you can't call a corner lost, you can't use double or single proportionate measurement as a retracement surveyor. And that's but, the problem with the, the manual because it's not a retracement manual. It's a, it's, a, it's a manual on how to do the original surveys of the public dom- of the uh, undisposed of lands of the federal government. But many surveyors will use that tool, that last resort tool of proportionate measurement, because it's cheap, it's scientific, and it's easy. doesn't make it right. And they can check their math. They can get a closure. So now yep. I got a good closure. I got a good closure. So that now I have an accurate survey, right? Makes them feel warm and fuzzy. You might have a precise <laughs> survey, but you don't have an accurate one. You, you can precisely survey the wrong piece of property, can't you? Yeah, you can be in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and be in the wrong place. Uh, oh, uh, let's see. We hit on a lot of stuff there. Um, but yeah, we could we could talk forever about about the manual. But uh, you know, one of my other uh, issues with the manual is I'm not sure uh, many of these surveyors who are quote unquote following the surveyor uh, following the manual have have actually read what the manual says. No, they read it as a textbook, a page at a time. Uh, this is where two things. Uh, not bragging, but Dennis Mullen and I put on a three day. Advanced Cadastral Academy about the rectangular system back in 2005, 
2006, Steve Parrish and I put one on non-rectangular entities. And we really dove into the manual, how the BLM and the GLO thinks and how they talk. And you should have seen the lights come on because most of our students are already registered. We charged a huge amount of money and they paid it because uh, they're the ones that wanted it. And uh, it taught me a lot, you know, to stay ahead of students that have been surveying 20 years. you got to study every night for weeks. <laughs> you don't want to get caught with your pants down. And uh, right. it finally dawned on me during those times how those people thought, how the mm-hmm. federal surveyors thought, how the manual was thinking. It started to make sense. And the other thing, the other great uh, class which bore out of the academies was the CFEDS program that BLM put on mm-hmm. and uh, allowed private surveyors to take the CFEDS training and get certification. And uh, that's probably the top of the pyramid in federal land boundary surveying. And uh, even though not, not too many people need it, they should probably take it just for their own education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, how the BLM or the GLO thought, you know, they, they were, that was, um, they, they were running original surveys. And so their, their task was to, as precisely as possible, put those lines on the ground. But then, then you come into the fundamental principles of retracement surveying. And one of the fundamental principles is you are to, you are to find where that original surveyor put it on the ground, not, not to correct it. That's just a fundamental principle of surveying and of retracement surveying, which was actually codified in the Act of 1805, where basically the, the federal government said, "Listen, wherever we put those monuments around that section, that's where that's what you got. Your title documents might say you own, you bought the, let's just say you bought the whole section. The title documents say you got 80 chains by 80 chains by 80 chains by 80 chains, and that's 640 acres, but." If they laid it out a 10 chains short and you only have 490 acres, that's all you got. I mean, because of the, you know, because of uh, retracement theory. Uh, you, you bought, and that's, that's a basic uh, a, a boundary doctrine. You bought the land surrounded by the monuments on the ground when the monuments are in the ground at the time of the conveyance. Acreage is the least of the retracement principles unless it's called out as a higher call. Uh, right. Never bothered, that never bothered me a bit. You know, you have what the monuments control. Uh, like you say, the 640 is a dream. It's what they call, right. what do you say, nominal? Supposed yeah. to be 640. Supposed to be 80 chains. Uh, but it never is. I've never seen one yet that was even close. Right. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that I see, well, here in Alabama, we're, we're a public land survey state, but none of the section lines were ever run straight. They didn't even, under John, General Coffey's instructions, they didn't run random and true. So in order for there to be a straight section line in the state of Alabama, I mean, you know, it would have had to have been an act of God. And I see surveyors all the time um, run into this just all the time, Break, still to this day, breaking down sections, straightening out section lines and uh, even even circuit court judges don't understand this I've heard circuit court judge say he couldn't put a bend in a section line well they never were straight every time they set up that compass on a on a Jacob staff uh, and, and 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 looked ahead they were actually 
they, they actually had a delta angle there that they didn't see because they thought they were running a straight line. Yeah, there were several in the in the original GLO instructions. There were several, uh, uh, if you go into lotted sections, there are several, several fail-safe things that throw it into a lot instead of an aliquot part. And most title companies don't understand that. They say lot four, section six is the northwest of the northwest. No, that's not its definition. Uh, <laughs> I have right. to get into it with them a lot. And it's a government lot, which is never surveyed on the ground, ex- you know, with few exceptions. It's up to right. the private surveyor to understand the lots and to put them on the ground. But they're not the northwest of the northwest. There's no such thing in Section 6. Okay. I've seen whole uh, sections that were lotted. Right, right, whole sections, sections that were lotted. That were combination of independent resurvey into tracks and then lots in the rest of the section. All right, well, we're, we're coming up on a break, John. We're going to uh, move on to uh, some other discussion here Sure. Uh, uh, after the break, and we'll wrap the program up. Okay, we'll be back right after the break. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Okay, folks, let's have some fun on America's Web Radio. We love idioms, and we want yours. So send it in. Go into uh, our homepage. Look under the flag at the banner and uh, click on idioms, and send us your idiom today. Thanks. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? Talk about your business or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Okay, we are back. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas, and with me today is John Stock, a Nevada professional land surveyor, uh, was licensed in other states. Um, John, we, we've discussed uh, the NCEES, the National Council of Examiners for Engineers and Surveyors, uh, before, and uh, you're probably aware that I'm in a little bit of a uh, I have a little bit of an issue with some of the things NCEES does. And I'm asking you for my own edification. Uh, you probably have more experience with them than I do. What, 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 is, the, what is the function of NCEES? I mean, what, what, are they, what do they do? What they do 
to me, in truth, is they take the burden of administration away from the states, which is a good thing that they do. Uh, the, some of the examinations, some of the regulation, uh, actually the model law, which we can talk about, uh, and the reciprocity thing, and the uh, engineering and surveying technician uh, programs, which are national in scope, which they administer the exams. They do do some good things, but to the model law, it's obviously they're not influenced by educated and experienced surveyors like they should be. Your turn. <laughs> uh, okay, and and I'm going to concede they, they they do they do some good things, but um, I, I the my current issue with them, and it's been an issue for a long time. I, I didn't just come up with this last week uh, or in my April, just come up with this in my April column uh, about this definition of the practice of surveying. I mean, it's, it's been problematic for a long, long time. It's the same definition that was around back when I was studying for my exam in 1984. The only problem was I didn't recognize back then uh, what the problem with the, um, with the definition is. And uh, the problem with the definition is, um, uh, as as I discussed in my column, and you and I have talked about, is uh, the language they use that gets down to retracement, uh, the, the retracement portion of the surveyor's role, the practice of surveying, practice of retracement surveying. Um, the language that they use is, is just subject to wild interpretation. And I'll just read it for the audience sake. Um, under the practice of surveying in the model law, one of the things that the practice of surveying includes is locating, relocating, establishing, reestablishing, or retracing property lines or boundaries of any tract of land, road, right away, or easement. What are your What are your thoughts on that language? Well, I think uh, the uneducated, uneducated or uninitiated in what we do will consider that strictly semantics. But it leaves a whole world open for duplicate monumentation, for putting land where it doesn't belong. Uh, again, not written with much survey influence. Uh, again, written mostly by engineers. Yeah, and back in a time and an era when, as we just, at least I was talking about earlier in the program, a time and an era in which surveyors were being taught that they had nothing to do with property rights, the word property was 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 um, uh, you know uh, taboo. We didn't deal with property rights, and, and surveyors believed that lie. And I call it a lie because the fundamental issue that we deal with is, and this is why you you, you read about. Uh, um, more problems with the board with surveyors than with engineers, or you, you hear about it, or you see it. And if you go try to look up court cases on boundary disputes, um, they're legion, um, and, and then look up uh, negligence cases on civil engineers, and, you know, they're, they're very sparse. It's because we di- surveyors do deal with property rights. Every time we go to the field and we wrap the pink flag in around something, one of those monuments, or we set a new monument, we are dealing with people's property rights. Is that is that not correct? It is correct. And, you know, the first Lord High Guru of surveying I ever bumped into or read about was Kurt Brown. And his first 
seminars and books back in the 60s negated the property right thing. And then later on, he wrote a retraction and said, no, we really do deal with property rights, uh, which is quite a step for him when he'd already been a published author the other direction. I was pretty proud of him uh, for doing that. And another, another person before your time who may still be alive over in Georgia is Ted Madsen. And he, he was is. big on the... Huh? He is. He's still alive. Yes. He's still alive. And mm-hmm. he was big on the property rights and doing the right job. And he was pretty much ostracized by state societies. And I was told by one of my fellow directors in NSPS that he was a snake. Because he came in <laughs> to do seminars and didn't get approval from uh, the uh, state societies. Well, right. you're not going to intimidate a guy like Ted. I was privileged to attend five days of legal training in Fleming Law in Boulder, Colorado, with Ted as the instructor. And it turned my whole world around about surveying, uh, about how closure and precision and, yeah, that's okay, but it's not important because you can get it done. You have electronic stuff. It's about putting it in the right place. And we studied law. We lived together. It was beautiful. And it turned my whole survey career around. In fact, it turned my life around. And uh, very proud of the man, even though people revile him. Uh, I'm proud to call him my friend and a mentor to this day. Uh, he's the one that went the other direction. We were all down the rabbit hole. He went the other way. And we should listen, should have listened to him then uh, and not uh, dismiss him because he didn't uh, play by the rules. <laughs> Well, and I don't know uh, Ted's uh, complete background and history. I, I do know, you know, he's an attorney. Uh, he's an attorney in Georgia and Florida, I believe. And the only thing I can uh, imagine, uh, just going with my own experience, I, I didn't really learn how to become a good surveyor until I went to law school and started Bingo. Studying, yeah. and started studying the law, what the law actually had to say about surveying and especially retracement surveying. I mean, the law's there. It's been there for 200, you know, 100, 200 years. Go back to Cherry versus Slade, 1819. Well, that's one of the cases that Robillard brings up, and I think every seminar he does. And Or, what the, or Justice Cooley in Michigan. Yeah, Cooley in Michigan. Uh, even if, if you read uh, uh, Clark, uh, the unadulterated Clark, early Clark, uh, his 1939 mm-hmm book is second edition uh he talks about uh what the law requires for retracement surveyors and um and and it's but the law requires it but that's not practicing the law because the the vast majority of the boundary establishment doctrines aren't legal questions at all they're factual questions any comments on that uh, the main comment is, do your research, go to school, not just your baccalaureate programs, but stay out there. It's important. If you go to a seminar and drop maybe a grand on uh, on, this, on the fees and the motel and the, and the meals and the gasoline or the plane ticket, you're going to come away from there better. You're going to know some things. And even though the face-to-face seminar business is pretty much faded away because of the internet and now the economy uh, do something never stop learning 
Well, listen, but we I just have a couple. I'm sorry, John. Okay. What I don't know about surveying would fill a battleship. Right. But well, when I, well, I, I have a couple of. I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. If I was still practicing, I'd be out there learning. If I wasn't teaching, I'd be learning. I'd be a student. And because there's always something, something that might save your legal butt. Well, we only have a couple minutes left here. I want to ask you a, a final question here. What do you see as the biggest problem facing the profession moving forward? I think it's the encroachment of similar disciplines trying to grab it. Uh, GIS is the main villain, and engineers are another, because it's just a branch of engineering, right? So they should be able to survey. That's going on in New Mexico right now. And uh, GIS, to me, is not a profession. It's a technology. And we dealt with it in at Maricopa County. We had the greatest GIS people in the world. They wanted to be surveyors. And I said, all right, get out there. Take the pay cut, number one. And then get out there in the field and get in the truck and go do the work. We had technicians that never supervised anybody making over six figures plus benefits. Mm-hmm. Now, NSPS and ACSM had the chance to take GIS back in the mid-80s when it was just starting. And we walked away from it. We were idiots. We shouldn't have done that. We had a chance to make it part of land surveying, and we didn't. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's been many examples of that, at least over my career. Um, in Florida, I don't know if I have t- enough time to, to work this uh, thought out. We only have about 30 seconds left here. Um, anyway, yeah, surveyors have, uh, have had a long history of stepping back instead of stepping forward. Uh, any, any last thoughts here, John, in the last 30 seconds? I really appreciate being here, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's been wonderful. It kind of takes me back down memory lane. Thankfully, it's all <laughs> memories now. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, anytime well, I can be of service to you, you let me know. Well, maybe you could come back on the show again sometime because we have other other things we didn't even get to today. Hey, I'm good with that. This is fun. We'll have a whole right. new battery of questions. Okay. Thanks a lot, folks. Uh, thank you, John, for being on the program today. And that's that's it. That's our hour. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.